The Asheville Regional Airport is at high altitude these days. A record number of passengers flew into and out of there last year, and the airport is about to break ground on expanding its terminal to 12 gates. I must stress to the public, be patient with us because it's going to be very difficult and very cramped. We will maintain seven gates throughout the whole construction period until we're done. My guest today is Lou Blyweiss, who is in his 14th year as the airport's president and CEO. We talk about the airport's booming business and coming expansion. We also get into a whole lot more that certainly surprised me about how airports operate. For instance, you'll learn how complicated it is to add destination cities for airports such as ours and get an answer to this question. Why is there only one restaurant and gift shop at this airport? Hey, Overlook audience, did you know that every month I produce more than 400 minutes of exclusive local content relevant to life in Asheville? The Overlook is a one-man band, well, along with the fantastic, generous guests I invite onto the show, but my point is I'm delivering something Asheville has never had before. If you value The Overlook, if it makes you a more informed and engaged citizen, consider joining my Patreon campaign. You can be a sustaining member for as little as five dollars a month. Your support would mean the world to me. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash the overlook podcast. I began my conversation with Lou Blyweiss by asking how business looked at the airport when he first arrived and how things have evolved in ways he couldn't have anticipated. So back around 2008, 2009 timeframe, we were around 600,000 passengers we had, I believe, four carriers at the time, and it was, let's see if I can remember, we had American, Delta, Continental back then, and actually I believe that was the three that we had, and then we added AirTran a couple years <coughs> after that. So it's grown since then. The number of carriers really hasn't grown because there's been a lot of mergers and acquisitions between carriers. So today we do have six carriers, but we would have had more had there not been the acquisition and mergers between the carriers. Tourism is huge here. Tourism was big back then, too. Were the airports that you were flying into and out of that Asheville was serving, were they largely the same as then as now? It's just that there's more flights or have those evolved? No, those have evolved tremendously. Back in 09, we were pretty much flying just to the main airline hubs, Charlotte, Atlanta, those Chicago, those type of hub locations. And I want to say we had less than a dozen destinations back then. So we've, we have grown tremendously over the years. Back then, we were also more of a 50-50 split. 50% of our passengers were more business, and 50% were more leisure travelers. So we had a good blend. Since that time, though, and our growth has really spawned since then, we have seen a diversity of more of our, our leisure passengers. You mean that's grown more? Correct. So now, as our passengers are grown, the percentages have changed. And we're seeing more in the line of 75% leisure travelers Mm -hmm. and 25% business travelers. Is any of that because the business traveler population itself has dropped at all? Or is it solely attributable to just that many more people are coming here? It's really that many more people are using our facility and coming to Western North Carolina. That mix has changed. The 25% number of business travelers have really stayed the same. We're in a region that we're fortunate 
that we've got a lot of people that can work from anywhere and they choose to live here in Asheville and Western North Carolina. And this predates COVID by a number of years, but it's a great place to live. These people can work and live anywhere. And so they choose to choose to live here and they fly. But because the numbers in total have increased, that percentages of business travelers has gone down. One of the things I found striking in the numbers that your staff sent to me was that in 2022, you served more than 1.8 million passengers. You just told me when you arrived, it was 600,000. So that's a tripling. So back then, were you and your staff already aware that we are going to face some pretty huge growth coming up ahead? And if so, did you feel the airport at that time was ready to accommodate that? Did you have the space? Did you have the parking facilities? Did you have the infrastructure in place to handle the growth you envisioned at that time? Or did you know back then we're going to have to really put some things on the table here? Not at all. A normal airport, and when I say that with regular projected growth, you're in the two to three, maybe 4% growth range on an annual basis. So we had facilities that could accommodate us for a long time to come based on those numbers way back when. To put it in perspective, Matt, the airport opened in 1961. And so 57 years later, in 2018, we hit our first million passenger mark. So it took 50, 57 years to get to grow to 1 million. In, 20, in 2020, before COVID hit, we were on par to hit 2 million passengers. So basically doubled our growth within two years. That's unheard of. To back up that statistic, in 2019, we had a 43% growth in our passenger base here in Asheville. So again, that's where our numbers really jumped. And with that, you can't plan for that kind of a growth. Back in 2019, we were the, I think, the second or third fastest growing airport in this country just by the number of destinations that we added to our route map. And obviously, COVID hit in 20, but we're back up in in 2021. We were seeing 88% of where we were in 19, which I like to say 2019 was our high watermark. 2022 blew that out of the water. We had our highest numbers ever. So now 2022 is our high watermark. And we're on par now in 23 to break even those records. And we will hit and we will break 2 million passengers this year. Divide for us the responsibilities that you and your staff have to accommodate that growth versus the responsibilities of the airlines to accommodate that or TSA to accommodate that. You think from a distance, more flights, more airlines, they have to deal with that, that they hire their staff, they hire their pilots and the associated crew. What are you and your staff responsible for accommodating that has necessitated an evolution in how you do business? Sure. Let me start by saying, basically, a lot of the general public doesn't understand how an airport operates. And I like to use two kind of analogies. One's kind of like a shopping mall. You kind of configure that a tenant or landlord owns the brick and mortar facility. That's basically what we are here at the airport. We're a landlord. We don't provide the airline flights. We don't provide the concessionaires or the rental cars. Those are all of our tenants that operate out of our facility. And we just manage it all 
from a perspective of a landlord-tenant type of relationship. So if someone comes and said, hey, you all as the airport lost my luggage on my last flight, it's not us. It's unfortunate that does happen, but it's not us. It's the airlines that will do that, or the airlines set the airfares and all. We, we don't do that. We just provide a building where they can all manage and run their business. And then, of course, because we're an airport, we have a nice big piece of flat runway out there that airplanes come in and, and go out of. So that lays the groundwork for how we operate. So when you get to that, to go back to your question now, the airlines, the airlines will put their airplanes where there's a market for them. The airlines, that's their main asset for an airline are their aircraft, and they can move them around to where they make the most profit. They're not looking for profit anymore. The airlines are looking for the most profit. And so they will move their asset to any location that will provide full flights, higher fares, to make themselves the most money. And we've done a great job here in Asheville filling airplanes, providing a destination for visitors coming into our market and our community to go other places to visit those markets. And so the airlines make money here. They do very well. They, the airplanes are full all the time. So they will just keep sticking airplanes in unbeknownst of how much facility capacity that we have. They do ask, but they usually will put an airplane in without us saying yes or no to that. What do you mean they will do this without asking? You mean just increase flights? Yes, they will. How can they do that without asking? Because what if what Delta is planning runs up against what American is planning, runs up against what JetBlue or any other airline is... You presented this relationship in a way that seemed a little distant to me. You said this is a landlord-tenant relationship. But I get the sense the airport has to be more active than a landlord. You're not just simply collecting rent. Correct. We are. We facilitate and we provide the airlines the market of what we see that our community wants. And so we do solicit from the airlines new destinations, new markets, new airlines themselves. We, tr we always try to get new airlines into our marketplace just to stimulate more competition and more growth. But we don't have too much say. Yes, we will go to the, you know, we will go to the airlines and ask for specific routes that we see our community needs. But ultimately, it's the airlines that decide whether they want to put a flight in here and serve two, two, two destination points. An airline could come knocking on our door that's not serving us and say, hey, we want to come to Asheville. And we're pretty much, because we're a public facility, we have to somewhat accommodate that growth. Now, we can tell them they can't keep any airplanes overnight because we don't have ramp, enough ramp space on, on the aircraft ramp to park airplanes. But we don't have too much control of how or when they come in. So they come in and we welcome them, open arms anytime they want to do, aside from the carriers or the routes that we specifically market and try to bring to our marketplace. You said you have to be responsive to the public to some degree about the routes they're looking for. How can the public weigh in to the Asheville Airport Authority and say, we want a flight that goes to X destination? So, that doesn't happen that way. The Bureau of Travel Statistics of the federal government, roughly they get about 10% information of all tickets sold and traveled. That 10% sample is enough that's been dedicated throughout the years that it's enough to give good, accurate data. So we know where our community is flying to and from, 
by the tickets they're buying. And so the airlines know this information. They're on their seats. Hold on on that. The tickets they're buying are for the flights that are available, right? Okay, so explain. What information are you gleaning that is beyond just what you're seeing on the flights that people are booking out of Asheville? So you got to remember that we've got three legacy carriers operating at the airport here. We've got American, Delta, and United, three legacy carriers. They have main hubs. They've got hubs in Charlotte, Atlanta, Chicago, Newark, all over. And so people who are leaving our area are usually connecting through those destination points to different points. From those ticket sales, the airlines know where people are traveling from the, st- from the sampling size that they're getting from the airline or from the, the, that the Bureau of, of Travel Statistics collects. So they see that. That spurns a lot of information that they gather, they do. And then so from that point, they know whether they want to put an airplane into the market to serve those points or not nonstop. What we provide, what the airlines don't have, and what and what Tina Kinsey, who, are, who is our VP of marketing and PR and air service development, what she does and her team does is we provide the airlines with this site-specific, local-specific information of what's going on in our community that's making travel to X destination more popular. Like I said, the airlines know what tickets are being sold, where people are flying to, but they don't know what's happening here locally, whether we have a new brewery that's coming to town, or we've got a big music festival coming to town, anything like that, or how our growth is, what kind of employers that are coming to town that could add to air service. So a lot of that stuff is information that we provide the airlines, and we do that on a regular basis through various means. Once the airlines have that information, they analyze where people are going, what's going on in our community, and then they decide to put a route into our market to those destinations on top of things that we're already telling them and say, hey, we need X city pair destination. And we see and we collect data on usually on our top 25 markets out of the Asheville area. And it's again, it's usually reversal too. If we're seeing a top 25 market from Asheville going somewhere, that same top 25 market is usually coming back to our to our hometown of Asheville and Western North Carolina. So with that information, then we turn and sell and market to the airlines where we need new routes. Now, I might be getting this number wrong. I think I saw that we have 25, roughly 25 nonstop routes. 26 okay. as of May 26th. Okay, so let's talk about this a little bit. It seems every time we get a new route, we. Every time the Asheville Airport gets a new route, it's championed. Like, we have a new destination. And you just talked about a path of how we might get a new destination out of here. What are the players involved in making something happen from your staff's findings? Hey, this might be an area of interest that other airlines should look at to the point of, hey, we've got a new airline or an existing airline that is putting in a new city, a new destination. Matt, you did say it right. It's how we, because it's not the airport. What we do for the airport is for the community. So you were correct. It is we. How do we get a new flight? It's years in the making. It just takes a long time to sell the airlines on the destinations that we need coming in because of our travelers. So what we see today may take three to five years or longer before we get that route destination. So we do have a new route starting the end of May to Phoenix, nonstop on Allegiant 
more on the leisure side, like I've spoken about, and it's taken us time to look at Western markets from the Asheville area of what the airlines could be interested in. And, and Allegiant finally had enough assets, meaning airplanes. They saw what the numbers are coming out of here going westbound, and they see that through no matter what carrier is traveling, they see that information. And so Phoenix and our staff here worked with them or worked with Allegiant to try and get that flight in, and eventually we got it. You said it's three to five years to get a flight in, and we look at what the pandemic and the effect of that, and it seems that from a distance that airlines have struggled in some sense with staffing and that they can't keep consistent staffing, even pilots. There's been a hunt on for more pilots and that it seems like so many conditions can change in those three to five years that it must be even more difficult to get an airline to commit to say, Oh, yes. In 2023, we believe in 2026, 2027, there is going to be this need. Let's make this happen. Am I correct in that? That's even more difficult it now. It is absolutely more difficult. And again, that three to five years was an average time that I put in. It could take 10, 15 years to get a route. We joke around in the internet. We just keep pecking at the tip of the iceberg. And finally, we get far enough down the iceberg that the airline will, will have the aircraft, will have enough passengers, and they'll decide to make a commitment to try the new route and put it into the system. So it does. Since COVID, and you've hit on a lot of good points with staffing and other challenges that the airlines aren't, are being challenged with every day. And it is, and it does make it very difficult to get new flights added. So we are very fortunate because of our marketplace that, in this case, Allegiant has decided to put in a new flight from Asheville to Phoenix because they they have a lot of other opportunities that they could put that airplane in, but they decided to choose Asheville to go to Phoenix. And uh, yet at the same time, you're looking at how do you accommodate that growth here? It's one thing for you and your staff to say, hey, we're going to work behind the scenes to get airlines to add more flights and to be more of a presence here. It's another to be able to accommodate that. What are the things you're doing here at the Asheville Airport to expand so that it makes it a more attractive destination, both for airlines and passengers. So we try and look far enough out in the future to see where we're going, the growth we're seeing. And you may have heard, and if not, we are in the process of building a brand new terminal here on top of the facilities you're currently sitting in. And we started the process back in 2017, 2018. Keeping in mind in 2019 is when we had that 43% jump. So we started well before that time of, of that time of growth, and we saw the anticipated growth. We thought, honestly, that we could just add on or renovate and add to our existing terminal building. We're not professionals in some of this stuff. We've hired consultants. They came in. They analyzed everything. And then back in 2018, they came to us and said, you can't expand. You need to build a whole new terminal. And our current facilities, for example, are 113,000 square feet. We've got seven gates. The consultants came back looking at our projected numbers, and this was before 2019. And they said, well, you really need to go expand up to nine gates. And then a few years later, you really should be up to 12 gates. And the 12 gates, based on the passengers that they were looking at, the numbers weren't going to hit until 2038. Guess what? The numbers and employments that we had and the passengers that we had in 2019 far surpassed the anticipated forecast for 2038. So they came back and said, no, you can't add two, two more gates and then three later on. You need to add a total of five gates to get to, the, to get to 12 gates. 
And so that is what we're moving forward with. So even though back in 2018, when this all report came up and we decided to move forward, it's taken us five years to actually going to break ground, which we're going to break ground this August. It's very capital intensive. We had to find the, the monies and the revenue stream to be able to support that kind of growth. And finally, like I said, through all the processes, through the planning and the design phase and working with the Federal Aviation Administration, it's taken us five years. I noticed in the literature that this is a publicly owned airport. What does it mean to be a publicly owned airport? And this gets into revenue. So where does your revenue come from and how does that get managed in terms of where the money goes from the revenue that comes in? I can't speak for all airports because some are city-owned, some are state-owned, some are county-owned. We are what you call an independent airport authority. So we are totally independent, created by the North Carolina state legislation that created us as, a, as an entity that runs and manages our airport. And so we report back to the state to some degree, but we really are responsible to the Federal Aviation Ad Administration. So everything that we do, because we are a sole entity, all of our revenues and all that stuff have to be generated from within. So we are what more or less a user fee type of airport. I will stress that no local tax dollars go into the operation of the airport. We charge parking. That's our big revenue source. Parking is your biggest revenue source? Parking I is always, biggest uh, source. You always hear or I hear that airlines, for every flight that comes in, that there's a runway fee. Or I would think that would be your greatest revenue source, no? It's really not. It could. Be, it's really our number two revenue source, but we try to only charge the airlines a break-even of what their expenses are. We want carriers to fly here. We want them to bring more flights in. So we don't try and make any type of money or profit, per se, off the airlines. We only charge them what they use for an expense. Is that unusual among airports? No, not at all. That's the commonality uh, throughout the whole airport industry is communities don't want to charge and make money off the airlines. They want as much business from the airlines that they can get. So the less we charge them, the more enticing or incentivized they are to fly out of the airport. Okay, so parking is your number one revenue source. And I look at this, now, I guess there are a good number of spaces, but your parking rates aren't that high. I don't think, as far as airports are concerned, I've flown out of other airports that are twice the cost of the Asheville airport, and you don't, you're not accommodating hundreds of thousands of cars a lot at any given time. I'm just wondering, is that enough money? Yes, we have to make it enough. We are, and we do continue to add parking spaces, which is, again, more capital and more in construction and goes back to planning and everything that we've talked about a little earlier. But that's only one piece of the pie for our revenue. Right now, we make probably in the 5 to $7 million a year range from all of our parking. We have almost 2,500 parking spaces throughout our facilities. And in the, as of late, in the last couple of years, they're constantly full. So you mentioned how that's the number one revenue source. Number two is fees for flights coming in. And I look at this, one of the areas, and this is speaking from a passenger standpoint, isn't there room for more stores and more for renters? You're a landlord, you're looking for tenants. We have one restaurant in this airport. We have one gift shop. That has to be an area where you're looking for expansion, right? It is, and that's going to be part of the new terminal that we construct. We're limited in space and what we have because, of, because the terminal is old. It's 60-some-odd years old. 
And the growth hasn't been able to, the growth has expanded what we've been able to provide from a square footage perspective in the terminal building. So that will all change when we have our new terminal. So this terminal, you're saying is 60 years old. Correct. So aside from space, just sheer dimension, is there anything else because this terminal is so old that it just can't accommodate, wasn't built for certain things, or the things that a contemporary airport and what we might see in Terminal 2 that is going to be developed that this terminal can't possibly accommodate that go beyond sheer space. My chief operating officer, Mike Reisman, he likes to say there's one area of the airport that you can see there's been five renovations and additions to the building. There's one corner that has basically five five in- intersections where new growth has happened. We just can't do that anymore. Again, I've mentioned the 12 gates. We're currently at 113,000 square feet of terminal space. So we're confined within those walls. The new terminal is going to be almost or a little over 275,000 square feet, so more than doubling. We went through a period of time when I first got here that most of our airplanes operating in and out of the airport were the smaller 50-seat regional jet-type aircraft. Now the majority of our flights are 70, 90 or larger with mainline-sized aircraft. So it is very tight, very cramped, and that's what the new terminal is all about, taking into consideration what we're going to be able to do with that new space. Along with that, of course, we've had the pandemic of COVID, touch-free type of operations, all this stuff. So these are technologies that we'll be incorporating into the new terminal. I want to be clear, you mentioned 12 uh, gates. Are we talking 12 in the new terminal or 12 total for the airport? 12 in the new terminal. Okay, so there'll be this 19 total. No, so the new terminal that we're building is actually building over on top of where we're sitting today. This building that you're in will be demolished, and we're building an actual brand new terminal on top of this with, that will have a total of 12 gates. Okay, how do you demolish a terminal and keep your airport flowing and keep flights going? I must stress to the public who's listening and everybody in our community, be patient with us because it's going to be very difficult and very cramped. We will maintain seven gates throughout the whole construction period until we're done. So it's going to be interesting. We're, we have set up some temporary gatehold areas with some trailers areas, um, and we're going to be taking some space down and, and demo it and building a portion of it back. We'll start using the new portion and then tearing down some of the old stuff. So it is multi-phased a number of different ways over the next three years or so. So you're going to see one day you may be operating out of the south side of the terminal, the next day you may be operating out of the north end. But it's going to be back and forth until this whole terminal is finished. I can hear the grumbling of the public right now as they experience some of this. Why the choice to build on the current site rather than add a new facility? On the surface, you would think, gosh, isn't that more expensive in some ways to take to demolish a 70-year-old building or a 60-year-old building and st- rather than start anew and use the just keep this one going? Why do it? We'd love to be able to do that, Matt, but unfortunately we are land constrained and we have no available land to be able to put a new greenfield terminal site to be built on it. So what do you do? That on top of we just built a brand new parking garage, our first parking garage back in 2007. That was a multi-million dollar project. We don't want to have to abandon that and just discard it because of, of putting somewhere new. But the, really the basis is we do not have any more green space available to build anything. So the only way we can do this is build on top of what we have. You look at it and you think, God, there's nothing but space in an airport. Tons of gr- but that, there must be some FAA constraints, right, in terms of how much space around the runways are available. 
Absolutely. There's all kinds of safety perspectives that the FAA takes into consideration, and you have to have distances and all that stuff. So we do not have the type of space available. And of course, from a land constraint perspective, we've got the French Broad on the north side. We've got I-26 on the east side. We've got mountains on the west side. And we've got a highway and a golf course, which we do own on the south side. But crossing over Interstate 280 to get to other space is just too cost prohibitive to do that. So we are constrained within the, ba- the boundaries of what we operate out of. Does that also mean then that our growth is also constrained in the long term? Is there plans or is there room to add, for instance, another runway? You know, as more flights increase, you probably will have a need for that. Talk about what you can do, given all those constraints to accommodate future growth. Sure, we are constrained from an airfield perspective, but our runway that we have here is suited for the next 50 to 60 years. Technology of aircraft is changing. We don't have any anticipations that the one runway that we do have will encounter any issues with capacity constraints well into the future. It's really the terminal building is what we have the issue with. And we've got the ability to keep expanding the terminal if we need to as passengers grow. But our facilities here, we just redid the airfield and we we finished that project back in 2020. And that's all been set up and will accommodate us well into the future for the next 50 years. And now we're working on the passenger, passenger capacity stuff. And we're dealing with that. We've got some Greenfield areas that are smaller that, that, that can't accommodate a terminal, but we do have the growth capacity to help other types of businesses on the airport that cater to the general aviation side. So that's some things that we'll be expanding down the road and do, doing some other stuff. So we've got land that we can develop, not necessarily for airfield capacity, but we are constrained from an airfield and from a terminal perspective. I remember reading quite a number of years ago how airports like Pittsburgh and others were becoming almost like malls, shopping malls. And I've been in some, like I lived in Minneapolis for a long time. And that, that's almost like a mall of America in itself. How important is that in Asheville? Is developing an airport that has at least some, that kind of replicated shopping experience? Or is that not as important when, talk about that here. So, sure, times change, and it all depends on the, on, on the configuration of the airport. You mentioned Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is building a brand-new terminal, and that and the, and the air mall is going away. Why is that going away? Tell me how that's representing trends now in the industry. It's just the constraint of what an airport has. Obviously, our main focus business is air traveler and air and accommodating aircraft, and that's what they're needing to do to accommodate their growth in air carrier service. They need to do that. With our new terminal, yes, we will have more space for more concessions and different opportunities for the passengers with different food selections, different shopping ideas. So we'll have that when we have the the larger space to be able to accommodate that. And that's all been incorporated into the designs of the new terminal that we've got going underway. So it's important, but we also learned a lesson during COVID of keeping air, air side or aeronautical revenues on bringing most airports need to diversify and have opportunities to bring in other revenues, not just what's accommodated by, by the aeronautical side. And that's what we're doing here. We're looking for other opportunities. We do have other properties that we can develop around the airport. Yeah, give me an example of the, what kind of businesses you're talking about. Commercial retail. One of the things we did during COVID, we bought the broad 
Broadmoor Golf Course. That golf course was in bankruptcy. We saw an opportunity there. We bought it and we've got it. We've leased the whole course out for a long-term lease. And we've got a hotel developer going in there and he's building a hundred and I believe 145 room, four diamond or equivalent type of type of hotel quality with conference space and everything and running the golf course. So that's going to be a large portion of non-aeronautical revenue that we can bring in that will help us diversify our revenue streams. And that's meant to be completely separate from the airport. It's not like an airport hotel. Correct. And there's a need for it. Henderson, the the location, Broadmoor Golf Course, is in Henderson County. They're thrilled with the opportunity that they're going to have some conference space and hotel availability for that type of business that they can't market right now because they don't have conference space Mm -hmm. within Henderson County. But we've got some other land available for other retail or commercial type of operation, warehousing. So we do have a number of acreage that we can develop that will bring in revenue that is not dependent on carriers and passengers flying in and out of the airport. Last thing I want to ask you is this is Asheville Regional Airport, right? And so it takes an international flight to be technically called an international airport. I've seen airports that might have one flight that is international. They call themselves international. Is that in Asheville's future? Will we eventually be Asheville International Airport? We're hoping. We'll see, we'll see what the opportunities down the future provide. But I will tell you, Land of Sky here in, in Asheville and other entities are working on creating an inland port or foreign trade zone. That inland port and foreign trade zones will be extremely important for the businesses of Western North Carolina. Can you explain that? I don't know what that means. An inland port is where shipping can happen inside a community versus being outside at a seaport or a railway port. So goods and and merchandise and items can fly directly or get directly trucked into that area. And that's where the, the containers are unsealed and inspected by Customs and U.S. Border Patrol. But they need a port of entry to do that. A designated port of entry, that's the first start to being able to get international service. We're looking more so up the upstart of of international general aviation aircraft being served by the port. Then after that, we're hoping to be able to have facilities and market the commercial service side and passengers for some international service. I want to thank my guest today, Lou Blyweiss, the CEO and president of the Asheville Regional Airport. Our theme music for the Overlook, Maker's Song, comes courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are online by 6 a.m. every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at podavl.com. And please support the show by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash The Overlook Podcast. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.